All right. Have your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to walk into uh, the second commandment. I want to start this way. Let's read these three verses together. Psalm 119, verse 89 says this. Your word, O Lord, is, say it with me, church. It's eternal. stands firm in the heavens. How about this one in Isaiah 40? says this, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord, say it with me, church, stands forever. And then in Matthew, says this, heaven and earth is gonna pass away, but my words will never pass away. So it's 2024, we live under the, under the banner of the New Testament. Somebody say amen, right? And so some people ask, why talk about the Old Testament? Why talk about the, why talk about the Ten Commandments, right? Because of those words and many more like it. God's word has not changed. It does not pass. It lasts forever. It's eternal. So the commandments that God gave us in Exodus, those 10 commandments, still are true to God and his character. They have not been abolished. They're not been removed. God's word, unlike heaven and earth, will never pass away. They are eternal. Somebody say amen. Right? But Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 22. He summarized it this way. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Hearing that Jesus silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, one of the Pharisees, who was an expert at the law, the Old Testament law, the the rabbinical law, the Jewish law, right, tested him, Jesus, with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. He said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, all the law, everybody say all the law. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And the reality is what we get from the words of Jesus in the New Testament are the heartbeat of what these commandments are designed to do. The commands of God are designed to do two things, to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Somebody say amen. At the end of the day, that's what the commandments are designed. We decided, because we are people who like to measure things, we decided that the commandments and the laws are things we should measure so we can tell whether you're a good Christian or not, right? We need to know whether you're a good Christian. So do you smoke and do you drink? Do you cheat? Do you come to church, right? Do you lie on your taxes? Do you tell dirty jokes? Do you watch pornography? We add a million things because we need to know what your score is because that's the way most churches treat Christian people and that is that you have to get a passing grade. So laws become these things that we measure your performance by and then your performance tells us whether you're sincere. Everybody tracking? right? You know that's true, right? Some of you are new enough to church that you're, you're not familiar with that. And some of you have been around the block more times than you care to remember. And you know that's exactly what church is like at times, right? But I want the heartbeat of what we're talking about over these next few weeks to come through. The desire of God is always to do two things, to get us to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to get us in our love for him to love people the way we love ourselves. That's what the entire law, the entire law, 
all of the law and all of the prophets hang on those two commandments, only those two. It's not about what version of the Bible you read. It's not about what kind of music you listen to. It's not about what church you go to. The idea of the commands is to create in us a heart that's in love with God. In Mark chapter seven, Chad mentioned this verse last week, but in Mark seven, the Pharisees are, criti are criticizing Jesus's friends for eating food and not washing their hands, right? And he says to them, why are your, why are your followers eating food, right, with unclean, meaning unceremonially clean, meaning unreligious hands? They haven't gone through the proper procedures. They haven't done the proper things. They didn't come to church right, right? So why are they allowed to eat? And Jesus says to these people, you honor me with your lips, but your heart, your heart's far from me. Because at the end of the day, whether it's the commandment one, thou shalt have no other gods before me, or whether it's commandment eight, right? The reality is what God's desire is that your heart is in love with God, and that in that love, in that love, you love other people the way you love yourself. That's the measure of how you're doing and how I'm doing in these commands. Because John wrote, if you say you love God, if you love God online in here, let me hear you say amen, right? He says, if you say you love God, but you don't love the man that you see, then the Bible says you are a, you're a liar. Everybody said liar, right? Because how can a person truly love God have, having been exposed to God's love and responded to that love and then treat their neighbor like they don't love them. He says, the love of God is not in that person. He might as well just say, you come to church and you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. The goal of the Ten Commandments study is not to give you more rules to follow. The goal of the Ten Commandments is to get you to understand how God desires for us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so last week, Chad started, right? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Why is that important? Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter three. It says this, Solomon writes these words. God has made everything beautiful in its time. God has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet, it says this, they can't fathom what God's done from beginning to end. Do you realize that every human being created by God has eternity placed in their heart, meaning their heart is searching for something the size of eternity. You hear that? Which means we are, we are a people who have a proclivity to try to worship something to fill that hole, right? That's the reason why people are so concerned. Listen, we were built, we were created, we were made by God, right? To worship because eternity has been set in our hearts. And yet the problem is man can't fathom. Man cannot fathom what God has done. But only through Jesus can we ever fill that gap the way God intended it. So he says, in your proclivity to fill the gap, right, in your proclivity to fill eternity that God's placed in your heart, have no other gods before me. Everybody say the word before, right? The word before in the Hebrew means above, meaning when it comes to the priority of order as to who gets to fill your heart when it comes to eternity, your choice should always be the Lord our God. Somebody say amen, right? That is the command. Don't let anything else 
Don't let anything else have a higher priority in your life to fill what God gave you in your heart. I mean, look at the world that we live in today. People are searching for every kind of meaning and hope and purpose in the world, aren't they? And what's happening in their search, in their search to fill this massive void of meaning and massive void of purpose, what's happening? People are becoming discouraged. People are giving up. People are walking away. People are lying down. People are checking out. Why? Or they're trying to numb the pain that's from the journey that they can't find any fulfillment and purpose. Why? Because man can't fathom what God's done when he said eternity in their heart. So have no other gods before me. Nothing, nothing, nothing should fill that gap. Listen, there are things you love, right? How many of you love food? How many of you love music? How many of you love your family? How many of you love sports? And how many of you love Jesus enough to love the bears? <laughs> Tricked you, I got gotcha, you, right? Listen, there's all kinds of things that we love, right? God's not saying you can't love other things. What he says is what you can't do, what you can't do is have any other God before me, meaning on the ladder, when it comes to priority of fulfilling that thing that God made in you, only God can do that. So don't have any other God before me. And then he says the second commandment. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read these three verses together in Exodus chapter 20. And here's the second commandment. He says, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, he says, or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You should not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I punish the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But I show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You can be seated. Do not make for yourself a graven image. Now let's, be, let's get a couple things out of the way, right? There are all kinds of things that were made in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, there was a time where Moses made a serpent out of bronze and stuck it up on a pole. Anybody remember that, right? Man made all kinds of things. They made the temple, they made the artifacts, they made all kinds of things that they fashioned out of gold, right? They made rings and they made the Ark of the Covenant, they made they made these, these incense burners, right? I mean, man made all kinds of things. So let's be clear about what the prohibition is, right? Let's be clear about what the prohibition is in the commandment, right? He says, do not make for yourself an idol, right? An idol, basically an image, right? The, the, we'll get to the Greek word, but the word just means image, right? He says, don't make for yourself an idol out of anything from up, above, on earth, or below, in the water, right? Well, here's the problem. If that's the commandment, then Moses violated the commandment because he made a serpent out of bronze. Yes? Somebody say yes, right? So the prohibition in the second commandment comes with the second line, right? Because there were all kinds of images made in the Old Testament, even by the Israelites, right? 
The reality is the commandment doesn't mean anything without the second line. And the second line is, don't make an image out of any of these things. Then he says, do not worship it nor serve it. Don't worship it or serve it. You see, the violation of the commandment doesn't come in the making of the thing, right? I mean, listen, my kids went to school. How many of your kids ever brought stupid things home from school that they made? Anybody ever keep one? Absolutely, right? I mean, some of you have boxes in your attic of stuff your kids made and you can't wait till they get old enough to actually care about that stuff so you can show it to them, right? I mean, one of the best things about growing up and going back home was you'd go home and you'd ask mom and she'd bring out a box of all your old stuff and you found the stupid things that you made, right? There's a lot of good in those things, right? She didn't set it up on a mantle and worship it, right? But there were all kinds of images made of birds and of animals, right? Again, Moses made a serpent of bronze and exalted it up. The admonition or the prohibition in the commandment isn't against the making of the image. It's in the worship and the serving it. Now, I want you to, I want you to track with me. Psalm 135 says this, just, just some verses from the Old Testament. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, and they're made by hands of men. They've got mouths, these idols do, but they can't speak. They've got eyes, but they can't see. They've got ears, but they cannot hear, nor is there any breath in their mouth. The psalmist writes, those who make these idols will be like them, and so will all who trust in them, right? The reality is that the Old Testament is full of nations, including Israel, that made idols that they ultimately bowed down and worshiped. Listen to this little extended passage in Isaiah 40. And I wanna read this to you in Isaiah chapter 44. I wanna read it to you because I want you to hear the disgust in the prophet when he talks about idolatry, right? He says, all who make idols are nothing and the things they treasure are worthless. Again, an idol is an image, something that's made. Okay, in the New Testament, the word idol comes from the Greek word to see. It's basically to place your eye upon something. So it's something tangible. He says, those who would speak up for the idols are blind. Those people are ignorant. It's to their own shame. He says, who shapes a God and casts an idol which can profit him nothing? You see, he and his kind will be put to shame. Craftsmen are nothing but men. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and infamy. Listen to this. He says, the blacksmith takes a tool and he works with it in the coals. The blacksmith shapes an idol with his hammer. He forges it with the might of his arm. Then the blacksmith gets hungry. He loses his strength and he drinks no water, so he grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in the form of a man, of man in all his glory, right, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cut down cedars, or perhaps he took a cypress or an oak to do this. He let it grow among the trees of the forest, the man did, he let the tree grow, or he planted the pine and the rain made the tree grow. He says, it is man's fuel, the tree is, for burning. Some of it he takes and he warms himself. He kindles a fire and from that fire he bakes bread. 
But from the same wood, he also fashions a God and then he worships it and he makes an idol and he bows down to it. He says, so half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it, he prepares his food. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He warms himself and he says, ah, I'm warm. I see the fire, right? But from the rest of the wood, he makes a God, his idol, and he bows down to it and he worships it and he prays and he says, save me, you are my God. He says, they know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think and no one has the knowledge or the understanding to say, hey, half of that you used for fuel. I even break bread over those coals and I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? He says he feeds on ashes, the person who worships an idol. He feeds on ashes, a deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my hand, in my right hand, a lie? There are hundreds of passages in the Old Testament about idolatry. And do you see the futility of an idol? Of, of an idol? Yes or no, right? One minute it's a tree, the next minute it's fire, the next minute you're cooking food, you got some tree left over, you carve it into the image of a man, you set it on the table, you bow down and you worship it. Now if I ask you online and in here if that made sense to you, you would say in 2024, no. Because how many of you are gonna do that? How many of you are gonna go out into your backyard, cut a tree down, build a fire, cook a hot dog, take the rest of the wood, build an image of a man, put it on your mantle, tell your family that's our God, bow down and worship it. Anybody doing that? No, that sounds ridiculous to us, right? It was clearly the practice of the pagan nations, right? All you have to do is travel to India with Joe or go to Thailand with our mission teams and you'll see nations that still believe in worshiping everything under the sun, right? But to us in the West, that doesn't make sense. We're not doing that. We're not cooking food over a fire and leaving, taking the rest of the charcoal wood and then pulling it out of the fire and building a God and telling your family that's what we're praying to because we live in the West. We're smarter than that, yes? Yeah, it's okay to say it, it's fine, right? But that's how we feel. Here's the problem. In the New Testament, the word idol and idolatry is used all over. The word idol means to see. Everybody say to see, right? It means there is something on the table and in front of it I can see it. That is the root of an idol, meaning it's tangible, it's real. Idolatry, idolatry is this. It is I see the thing, right? And then the second part of the word for idolatry comes from the Greek word latria, which means to serve as a slave. Everybody say slave. So here's the problem with idolatry and why God has a commandment against it. Because what happens in idolatry is this, you learn to serve this thing. And what did God say through Moses? Don't make anything and don't bow down and don't serve it. Why, because how many gods are you supposed to have? One, one. So don't do that, because what'll happen is if you make something and you bow down and worship it, you've got at least how many gods now? You've got at least two. 
He says, here's the problem. I'm gonna show you where this word's used, the, the Greek word for idolatry that has this idea of serving. Look at Romans 12.1, just so you get how powerful this word is and why God is so adamant against idolatry. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That, that sacrifice is holy and pleasing to God. Everybody say this with me, online in here, everybody say it. This is your spiritual that word act of worship is the Greek word latria. It means it is what you are supposed to give. It is what you are bound to give. It is what you are supposed to give because of God's mercy. Listen to it in this one, Matthew 4.10. Jesus says this. Jesus said to the devil who was tempting him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, check this out, worship the Lord your God, say it with me, church, and what? Serve him only, latria. Only be bonded to him. How about this one in Revelation 22? When Eden is restored, John writes these words. The angel showed me the river of water of life as clear as crystal. That, he said that river flowed from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river of life stood the tree of life. He says, that tree bore 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. He says, in restored Eden, in our new heaven and new earth, no longer will there be any curse. Somebody say amen, right? Anybody wanna say amen, right? The throne of God and the Lamb of God are gonna be in the city, check this out. And his servants will what? Serve him. You see, here's the thing about idolatry. Idolatry puts you and I in a, in a submissive posture to something else. Because the commandment is don't build it or make it, but don't bow down and worship it. Because it's possible for you to be in a situation where you're now bonded to something else. So, we talk about what's idolatry in 2024, right? Listen, I love sports. Anybody else? I love sports. You all have things you love. Running, eating, right? Traveling, family, right? Some of you like music. Some of you love to read, right? There's all kinds of weird people in here and online, right? We all have all kinds of things that we love to do, right? There's nothing wrong with those things. Right, I pay money, right? I go to watch a basketball. I went and watched the, the NASCAR race on Monday, right? I went and watched the race, right? I loved it, right? It was great. We often say, well, those things are, those things are idols. Can we just be, we can be clear with each other. Liking something and having things in our life that we love to do, things that we enjoy to do does not make them an idol. Somebody say yes, right? It's not an idol. An idol is something we are in bondage to, something that we serve. Idolatry is I see a thing and now I'm serving it. Jesus said you should only serve worship and serve him only. When Eden is restored, those of us who make it to make it home will only, only want to serve him because he is our one true God. Idolatry is where you and I get sidetracked and all of a sudden something else is what we are beholden to. You see, idolatry is a very tricky thing. We make it so simple, right? We think it's something like 
our house or our car, right? Listen, how, how many of you like automobiles and would really like to have a really nice car that you would pick out if you had the money? Okay, right? And could you have a car that nice without making it an idol? Of course you could, right? I know you could. I have a, I have a Philadelphia 76ers basketball jersey with the number six on it of my favorite player in the entire world, Julius Irving, Dr. J. It is signed by him. It's hanging in my closet. I'm going to buy a frame for it. I'm going to hang it up in my office and none of you can touch it. All right? It's not an idol. It's not an idol. It's not, it's not an idol because I won't be a bondage to it. Because if somebody else comes in and says that they want it, I'm gonna give it to them, right? Listen, we have things in our life like that that aren't idols. We have to understand an idol, an idol isn't about, isn't about us having something we like. It's about something we're indentured to, something we're in bondage to, something that takes us from having one true God. Listen to Romans 121. Here's what happens. So Paul's writing about people who knew God to be the creator God. If you believe that God's the creator God, say amen. amen. Bible says everybody knows that. You can't walk out into creation and not know that. He says, but here's what they did. Although they knew God, they didn't glorify God as God, nor did they give thanks to him, right? But he said instead, their thinking became futile and their foolish heart became darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, these people who denied God became fools. Check what happened. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, right? And birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sensual desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Guess what happened? They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped, and say it with me, church, they served Latria, created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. You see, here's the problem with idolatry. Idolatry isn't about what I build. Idolatry is about what I'm indentured to. You see, they denied there's one God. They denied it. Paul says they denied his existence. And guess what happened? They decided they needed something to worship because God has placed eternity in every human heart. Somebody say amen, right? Every human heart, your children, grandchildren, the person you're married to, the people you work with, all have that eternity in their heart, right? They're searching for that. But if you have not the eternal God, you've gotta fill it with something. So guess what happens? I allow myself to be indentured, enslaved, and bondage to something else. And guess what they did? They worshiped and served this, all of creation. They served everything here. And all of a sudden now, they've got a different God. Do you think that the United States of America is now worshiping a different God than the one that you serve, yes or no? Come on, you know it. Yeah, it's changing, is it not? The nation that we live in now is no longer worshiping one true God, they're worshiping many gods, why? because now they're indentured to other things. They're indentured to power, 
They're indentured to money. They're indentured to greed. They're indentured to lust. They're indentured to impurity. Because guess what? That's what you worship and serve when you become idolatrous. So the question isn't, do you have a really fancy jersey that hangs in your closet that nobody can touch because it's an idol? Right? The question is, what are you indentured to? What is the thing that you're actually indebted to? That you say, I can't give this up. This is what moves my life, right? I can't go to church and I can't serve Jesus because I have to work. I can't do this for Jesus because I have to, you fill in the blank. I don't want to do this for Jesus because I don't want to give that up. That thing you won't give up that's in the way of what God asked you to do, that's an idol and you're idolatrous. See, that's the problem with idolatry. We like to make it simple, right? If you go to the Super Bowl and you root for the team and scream like a crazy person, you're an idolater. Come on, that's ridiculous. And it's so offensive to people that have any common sense. I went to Green Bay and I watched the Bears and scream like, scream like a crazy person and I never once thought the Chicago Bears could save my soul. I felt like after watching them, I needed it saved, right? but I didn't feel like they could save my soul. We act as if all of those things that we like in the world somehow are idols. That's ridiculous. Idolatry isn't about the thing you possess, it's about the thing you worship and serve. And the word for serve means to be indentured to it, to be bonded to it. Do you know how many people right now can't honor God because they're indentured to alcohol? Because they're indentured to porn? because they're indentured to the things that you can't just pick up a nice little thing and go, oh, there's their idol. Look at their pickup truck. They're just so in love with their pickup truck. It's their idol. We like to key on those things because those things are easy. Those aren't the issues of idolatry. The issues of idolatry are far, far, far deeper. Listen to Colossians 3. Paul says this. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Here's what you and I should do. Set your heart on things where? Above, right? where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on what? Earthly things, right? For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who's your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Somebody say amen, right? Then he says this, while we're here, waiting for that glorious return, here's what you and I should do. Say those first three words with me. Put to death. Now, do you think that just with those three words, this is going to be something easy to do? No, right? This is mortal combat, right? Back in the 1980s. Finish him, right? That was pretty good, right? Right? That's what this is, right? He's, he's asking for combat here because why? The battle between the heavenly and between the earthly are in constant, constant conflict. Why? Because Satan needs you to worship something other than God. So guess what? We need you to be indentured to something else. We need you to be idolatrous. Buy your truck, polish it, and love it. We know that's not your idol. Because the idol is something far, far, far more devious. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. What are those things? Buying pickup trucks, going to football games, going and watching concerts, right? Is that what it says? No. Can you guys see this? All right, I just nobody nodded. I wanted to make sure everybody was okay, right? He says, instead, here's the things that become, we, listen, think about it. These are the things we become indentured to. Sexual immorality, impurity, 
lust, evil desire, greed, which he says is what? Idolatry. He says because of these things, the wrath of God is coming, right? We have gotten so much of this idea of idolatry wrong because we've made it a thing. Listen, Moses made a thing and told people to stare at it and they would be healed. If making a thing was a bad thing, Moses wouldn't have been commanded to make one. Somebody say amen. So what's the bad thing? It's making it and becoming indentured to it. And for you and I, we're not, we're not building images in our backyard and putting it on our mantles. Instead, what we're doing is that we're dealing with our own evil desires and our own sexual impurity, right? Our sexual immorality and our greed and our lust and our covetousness. Those things are the things that Christians become indentured to and they are the things that we worship over God. That's why adultery is so insidious. It's such an evil sin. It's why Jesus constantly called the Pharisees hypocrites because they pretended they worshiped God, but in their heart, they were so evil. He said, you're like a white, he said, you're like a whitewashed tomb. You come to church and you're so beautiful and you sound so good, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. What's he saying? You are idolatrous. You're indentured to something else. So what do you gotta do? You gotta put it to death. You gotta dig in and you gotta fight. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 1, he says this, the Lord's message rang out from you, right, the church there at Thessalonica, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, he says your faith in God has become known everywhere, therefore we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell, here's the story they tell about you at church, they tell how you turned to God from what? From idols to what? Latria, the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So listen, idolatry isn't about going into your keepsake thing and going, oh man, I, I gotta get rid of this, I gotta get rid of that, I gotta get rid of this, this might be an idol. No, this is about going far deeper than that. This is about far, 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 far harder searches than just your closet for your knickknacks that you've given time and money to. This is about getting into the space that God wants more than anything. Because what did we say at the very beginning? The greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your heart. At the end of the day, whether it's no other God or whether it's no graven image, the goal is this. Love God with all of your heart. How can you love God with all of your heart when you're indentured as an idolater to sexual immorality, to impurity, to greed, to covetousness, to lust, to alcohol, to porn, you name it. Whatever those things are that live in our flesh, those are the things that we become indentured to. And that makes us idolatrous. And we have to put to death. He didn't say take it to goodwill and sell it. He didn't say take it to our thrift store and let somebody else sell it so they can raise money for a mission trip because he doesn't care about the thing. He cares about the thing that has the thing. He cares about you. And you're the thing that becomes indentured. I wanna read this passage of scripture to you. Uh, I don't know who's, my, Dave, are you in charge back there? Go all the way down to that last scripture in 2 Corinthians. So I wanna read, I wanna read this passage to sort of, put a bow on this, right? 
We've, we talk about idolatry as if, it's, as if it's a thing. We're not living, right, in the days of Abraham and Isaac, right? We're not living in, 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 in Jacob. We're not living in a day where all these foreign tribes, right, are around us building idols. We live in a world where there's all kinds of that idolatry going on. But if you go to those places where they're worshiping trees, you'll find people who are doing far, far, far worse things that they're indentured to, which is their lifestyle choices, right? The thing, the thing is just the thing. Worshiping something and being indentured to it is what identifies you. So how many of you in here online right now love Jesus, say amen, right? The Bible says that you shall have no other God before me. Nothing else is gonna fill your eternal, eternal need in your heart. Secondly, he says, you should worship and serve me only, nobody else. Meaning serve, meaning you are indebted to me. You are a hired bondservant indentured to me, which means everyone, how many of you online in here have ever had to say no to something that your family wanted you to do because you had to go to work, right? We've all had to make that choice. That's a terrible choice, yes or no, right? We don't like it, but when you're hired, sometimes when you have a job, you have to do things you don't wanna do. Can I get an amen, right? The reality is when you love Jesus, you become indebted to him. And what happens is Christian people who love Jesus find themselves coming to church and yet still being idolatrous, because guess what? Something else owns their money. Something else owns their behavior. And something else owns their sexual choices. And something own, else owns their family choices. And something else owns their, you fill it in. But you're here. And you go, well, you know, it's just the way it is. No, no, no. Paul says, put to death those things. Why? Because they're gonna lead you away from worshiping and serving God. Which is why only God and only his word and only his spirit can convict you of whether you're being idolatrous. Nobody else can look at your life and go, oh, they're, they're being an idolater, look at them, right? They're over there spending hundreds of dollars on this, buying tennis shoes so they can do this, or buying a new haircut or doing this, they're just being idolatrous. Come on, only God can see inside of you and only God can know what you're actually indentured to. And my guess is, having done this long enough as a Christian and having done this long enough as a pastor, there's enough of you online and in here that have that, that know exactly what that struggle is, right? My hope is that your testimony will be the testimony of the Church of Thessalonica, that you will turn from those idols, those things that you're indentured to right now. You'll return from those and worship and serve God. Here's what Paul says in a church that was riddled with the question of idolatry and what to do with it. He says this, do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? He says, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Or what harmony right, or what agreement is between Christ and Belial or the devil? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Check this out. For we are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will live with them and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, 
Come out from among these other people. Be separate, hagias, holy. Be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Listen, collect all the knickknacks you want. Keep them in a box in your garage or rent a storage unit. I don't care, neither does God. What he does care about is that since you are the temple of God, there is no agreement between the temple of God and idols. Therefore, as people who are temple, we should come out from among the world we live in and no longer be in bondage to the things that make us idolatrous. Whatever you're struggling with that's got you indentured to give it more time, more obedience, more allegiance, more whatever than you give God, you've got an idol. And if you do, the Bible says you need to turn from that idol and return to the living God. Somebody say amen. So Father, tonight my prayer is for all of us that you would convict us, convict my heart, convict our hearts about the things that can get in the way and can cause us to be idolatrous. The true things that actually make the temple of the living God unclean. I pray, Father, for every person in here right now that's wrestling with you over that conviction. Would you give them the strength and the courage to simply honor you so that we can honor you when you say, don't make anything as a graven image so that you can bow down and worship it. For you, our Lord God, are a jealous God. Help us, God, to not provoke that jealousy. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you next week.